Welcome to Sermons from Iceland, a podcast that highlights the most recent sermons from Lofstofan Baptista Kirka, a Bible-based church in the Reykjavik, Iceland area. Pastor Gunnar Ingi Gunnarsson and the ministry staff of Lofstofan are grateful that you're joining us for today's study in God's Word as a supplement to your weekly routine of meeting with your local church to worship Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Today's program is from Sunday, September 26, 2021. The message title, Battle Ready, a continuing study in the book of 1 John. All right, brothers and sisters, well, and then visitors, we're going to jump in where we left off, which is uh, Elliot preached to us last week from 1 John chapter 2. We're going through the book of 1 John. He was covering verses 15 through 17. And I will be brave enough to try to cover verses 18 to 27. Uh, And so if you don't have Bibles, there are Bibles in the back over there. Uh, Also, if you don't own a Bible or or if you may not own a Bible in English, you're welcome to take one of those copies with you home um, as we have way too many of them. And so uh, I I had probably the most complex slideshow uh, ready to go for this as I typically have a screen right next to me, but then technology just sometimes decides not to work. And uh, I'm sure this is how, how uh, what is that movie, Terminator starts. It starts with the TVs, right? Getting their own ideas, but then it moves over to more dangerous things. <laughs> anyway, so let's, if you would stand with me and, and let's read First John chapter two, verses 18 through 27 together. Let me just pray, Father, we thank you for your word. Make us ready, reveal to us you in this, equip us, confront us if we need to be confronted and help us love you and love like you. In Jesus' name, amen. It says, children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that it might complain that they are all, they are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One and you all have knowledge. I write to you, not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar, but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us eternal life. Amen. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you received from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointed teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. Amen. So we're going to be dwelling on these verses. I don't know if you're, yeah, you may be seated. Uh, I don't know if you've noticed this, uh, but there are, big subjects in the text, including the Antichrist, the anointing of the Holy Spirit, and knowing Jesus Christ as the Christ. And these could all be separate sermons, 
or even like few sermons on just talking about the Antichrist and the Holy Spirit and everything else, but I'm gonna try to do sort of an overview here today. Now let's start with this though. There was a man in the 1800s who penned down the words of a politician in America who wanted to end slavery there. And he had just survived an assassination attempt on his life. And he was asked, is it worth it to fight for this, to be an abolitionist in light of what you just experienced? Someone tried to kill you. And he answered with these words that are amazing. If you want to escape moral and physical assassination, it's simple. Do nothing, say nothing, and be nothing. Court obscurity, for only in oblivion does safety lie. So his logic was this, if you want, if you want to be careful of not ha having anyone come against you, just don't stand for anything. Don't say anything, don't be anything. But since Jesus arrived on the scene as the Christ, and I want to maybe clarify this, so the text is talking a lot about the Christ and the Antichrist. Christ means the anointed one. It is basically, Christos is the, the Greek version of the Hebrew Messiah, which is the Messiah, the anointed one. So it's all the same thing. When I'm, when I'm talking about the Christ or the Messiah or the anointed one, it's the, the same thing, right? And so when Jesus arrived as the Christ, and by the way, did you know that? That's not his last name. That's like a title. It's not like, hello, my name is Christ, Jesus Christ. It's a, no, my name is Jesus and I am the Christ. So it is a title. Uh, there, have been, there have been people who either wanted to replace Jesus or wanted to destroy Jesus. And I find it very funny when people are like, Gunnar, you know, if, if you just act more like Jesus, people would love you. And I'm like, dude, they crucified Jesus. <laughs> That's, that, that doesn't exactly say love to me. Things have been so rough over certain time periods in human history that you could basically unfold the, the timeline of human history. And if you had put your finger on anywhere on that timeline, you could probably find a group of people who are followers of Jesus who would have told you, we're living in the last days. This has to be the last days. There's so much suffering. People hate the truth. They're all out for selfish gain. They don't want anything with Jesus. If they are speaking in the name of Jesus, they're trying to create a fake version of Jesus or trying to replace him. Like in my lifetime alone, have you guys experienced this? Like, like in my lifetime alone, I remember when 1999 was happening, December in 1999, people were like, yeah, when 2000 rolls around, there's gonna be nukes everywhere. We're all gonna die. It's the end of the world. Anyone remember this? Because the computers couldn't handle a new, what, a decade or a new century or whatever. Uh, you know, so they, they, could, they couldn't handle it. Also in my generation, remember this, 2012? Because someone found a random calendar somewhere and it's like, it stops in 2012. Therefore, the end is nigh, right? Um, I think there was also one in like 2018, trying to say the, the end was coming. People are very obsessed over the end being nigh all the time, like all the time. But my question is, and I think you, we can get to this question through our text today, is how do we know if someone is right in claiming that we live in the last days? Well, I don't wanna be a politician, especially night after election, but it seems everyone in the timeline of human history who said we're living in the last days was right. Every single person. Maybe not the guy who was like figured out a date in 2012, but if someone would have told you we live in the last days, 
they would have been telling you the truth. Because as, as we see in our first verse today, in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 18, he says that we can literally anyone following the arrival of Jesus who felt as if they were living in the last days was correct. He says there himself, he mentions that there that this is the last hour, the last chapter of God's unfolding story on earth. And it may be uh, sort of a longer chapter than most of us were experienced. Like this is something like the, the director's cut of Lord of the Rings or something like that. This is way longer than we expected it to be. But nonetheless, we are living in the last hour. John was living in the last hour and every person since John has been living in the last hour. But there's one interesting thing is how we can know we live in the last chapter of human history. And John writes these words, therefore we know it is the last hour. And uh, what's a good, good rule? How do, how do people say this? Like, there's like these cheesy, helpful American sayings sometimes, right? When you see a therefore in the text, you've got to ask yourself, what is it there for? <laughs> you know, and, and that's actually a generally a really good rule. So we see a therefore in our text and we say, what is the therefore therefore? And so we look back and he's saying, therefore we know it's the last hour. Why? Because many antichrists have come. Because Jesus has come and many antichrists have come and an antichrist is coming. It's pointing to the fact that many antichrists have come. This last chapter of human history culminates in a war and John's aim here is to make us battle ready and equipped for what comes as we are taught by the Holy Spirit. So do you want to be ready to face the Antichrist and many Antichrists? Well, listen carefully to John's words. But first I wanna lay out this sort of second chapter because it's all sort of coming together. We're at the end of the second chapter. Uh, in verses one through six, he, he implores us that we as Christians are supposed to fight against sin. In verses seven through 11, he tells us to love in a radical way. And then in verses 12 to 14, he tells us to grow in faith. And all of it, this, all of this, if we're gonna love radically, if we're gonna fight against sin, it can only be done if we direct our love to the right objects, right? Love is not always good. Did you know that? Many people say, well, love is always good, right? And you want to sell it? No, no, not, not if you love yourself. That's called selfishness. If you love money, it's called greed. There's, if your love is directed at the wrong object, it can actually be a bad thing. But Elliot was teaching us last week, we're supposed to love God and not the world. We see that in, in 15 through 17. The fact is we cannot fight sin if we love the world. We cannot love radically if we love material gain. If we love comfort more than people, if we love toys more than people, we're not gonna love others radically. And we cannot grow in faith if we do not love the one who our faith is built upon. So if we have faith that does not lead us to fight sin and loving people more, our faith is actually fruitless not only fruitless, but pointless and sort of worthless. If our faith is all about this, it's a bad faith. As, as, as great of a preacher I am, this is not, you know, there's better things. I'm just kidding, by the way. All of you are like, wow, he's very, <laughs> someone needs to fight sin in his life. Uh, no, like, 
as much as it is a joy to gather with God's people, if this is all our faith is about, just gathering together and never doing anything else, we're in a bad place because this faith has actually changed the world. So if we have faith, it does not lead to fight sin or love more. Our faith is pointless and worthless. But also, maybe you're in here too and you just love knowledge. You love to know God more and you love to strive against sin and trying to love. But if you're trying to do it in your own strength, it's a bad thing. So going back to the three-legged stool that we proposed for the second chapter, we need all of these sort of legs for the stool to work. On one leg, we have our fight against sin. On the other, we have our, our view of radical love, but it all needs to be informed by who God is and what he has done. Like, I don't know if you know this, if you need a reason to love people who are annoying, that's difficult, right? If you're only looking at them, and if you only approach love, the kind of like love the, the world approaches love, I'll scratch your back as long as, long as you scratch mine, it's gonna be very difficult for us to love in a radical way. But we need Jesus and we need to be compelled by our knowledge and our love of God. And so John in verses 2, 18 through 19, he highlights both a singular antichrist and then he highlights many antichrists. And he says that we know we are in last hour, this last chapter, because these antichrists are going to come and have already come. Now, let me stop here because unfortunately, I'm starting to realize that most of us, we may not want to admit it, but our view of the faith is really influenced by a lot of cartoons. Um, so uh, I don't know if you know this, but if you're wondering like what Satan looks like, he probably doesn't look like a, a guy in a red spandex suit with a pitchfork and a tail for some reason, you know, trying to convince you to, to worship him, right? And the same thing with heaven. I don't know about you, but I can't get this idea out of my head, this cartoon idea of heaven that I'm gonna pop, I'm gonna die. And then all of a sudden I pop on the other side and I'm walking on clouds for some reason and everything echoes and there are chubby babies with tiny wings shooting arrows for some reason. Like a lot of people have this, like when it comes to our view of a lot of theological stuff, we are informed by some of the cartoons we may have grown up watching. And unfortunately, I think that's the case when it comes to talking about the Antichrist as well. When it comes to the Antichrist, uh, you probably have some ideas from movies that you watch as to what he's gonna look like, what he's gonna behave like, what he's gonna talk like. And so first, I wanna break down this word because we already talked about what Christ means, which is the Messiah, the anointed one. But the prefix, that is the, the beginning of the word, the anti, can mean two things. Now, typically, we, mean, we use anti in English to mean against or opposite, right? Like what are some words like uh, antibiotics against the microbes or uh, something like that? Some smarter people than I when it comes to medicine. We use anti to usually mean against something. But in Greek, what anti means is it can mean in, against something or it can also mean instead of. So typically in our mind and in the modern mind of the sort of modern spiritual landscape, when someone says the word antichrist, we think of opposite of Christ. So when we think of Jesus and he's just walking around doing good and hugging people, antichrist 
just randomly smacks people in the face, right? Because he's the opposite of Jesus. He is evil, you know? And if Jesus was beautiful and attractive, the Antichrist is ugly and repulsive. And if Jesus only spoke truth, the Antichrist only speaks lies. And honestly, I think that's a way more comfortable version of the Antichrist than what the Bible presents to us as the Antichrist. Because if you look at someone and you look at the love of Jesus, and then you just see the hate of Antichrist, it's very easy to see who is Jesus and who is Antichrist. But it gets more tricky because when we think of how Satan presents himself in scripture, in 2 Corinthians 11, eleven fourteen, he says, he masquerades as an angel of light. He doesn't come in a red spandex suit and, and makes it obvious that he's obviously working for the bad team. He's, he's, he masquerades, he pretends to be with God. Wouldn't it be more likely then that this antichrist and these antichrists that John has in mind here, they're not figures who are opposite of Jesus in every way, but rather figures that are trying to replace Jesus, that have come into the churches and they may use the same vocabulary, but have completely different, different definitions. Figures that are maybe dangerously charming or look good or are successful and are really good at explaining what they believe and why. But in the end, they try to elevate themselves as replacements of Jesus. Now, the idea that we get in verses 18 through 19 is exactly this. Notice that these plural antichrists that John talks about, they're not somewhere outside of the church. He says they, they arose from within. They came from within the church. He says they went out from us, but they were not of us. And that's why our faith should never be built on people, right? It, it should never be built on even spiritual leaders. Our faith should never be built on even brothers and sisters around you right now that love you and, and are walking the faith with you. It's good and beneficial for you to, to be a part of their life and let them be a part of your life, but you should never build your faith on anybody other than Jesus. Like, is it Hebrews 12 that says, Jesus is the founder and perfecter of our faith? It's not me, it's not your pastor, it's not your preacher. No one is the founder and perfecter of your faith other than Jesus. And there are so many bad things that happen when people place their faith in even spiritual leaders or preachers or pastors, and then they fail and their faith and their hope and their peace crumbles because their faith was built on that God instead of Jesus. These people that John refers to were not people who only spoke lies, only did evil, only acted as complete opposites of Jesus, but people from inside the church that at least tried not to make it obvious that they were trying to replace Jesus. You see, like the best lies, they're easily consumed when you couch them in a lot of truth. I don't know if you've tried giving medicine to a child. I've tried reasonably explaining to my kids this is helpful for you, just take it. They don't trust me. So I have to like put it in like smoothies and like couch the, the taste of the medicine. And I, 
unfortunately, I ruined smoothies forever, forever for, for Mikhail because he got caught on to what I was trying to do. But you, you, can, you can try to give your kids like this medicine and they won't take it, but you can, you can couch the medicine in a lot of things that taste good and cover the bad taste of the medicine, right? These antichrists arose from within the church with probably a lot of good things to cover up what they already wanted to get across, which wasn't medicine, it was poison. They wanted to lead the people away from the real Jesus. And I want to ask you in here today, have you ever been hurt by the church? Have you been hurt by people who claim to follow Jesus, but in the end revealed themselves to look more like Satan? Have you experienced these things? Because honestly, you're in good company. A lot of us have. Like, and and I, I really wanted to just have, be able to say with like, man, I'm done with Christians. I'll, I'll take Jesus, but leave these Christians out of my life. Because a lot of them have hurt. A lot of us have experienced this. And I can say for a lot of us, we sympathize with you and we are sorry that people use the name of God in this way in vain and in vain to, to use and abuse people. But know that not everyone who claims the name of Jesus is there to represent Jesus. Some people may only be using Jesus to lead to something that's not from Jesus at all. Now this reveals itself in, in many different ways. So in Iceland, sort of the obvious things is you can meet people who might say, well, I'm not a Christian, but I'm a spiritual person. And what in reality they're doing is try to say, well, I don't believe Jesus is the Christ, but I have this special anointed. I am anointed. I am the anointed one. Follow me. And there it's very obvious. And then there are other groups that claim the name of Jesus, but they are way more tricky to understand and realize that they're talking about two completely different things. So like, for instance, I, I get blown away by this when I'm talking to uh, Jehovah's Witnesses or even Mormons, a lot of us, we, we use the same words. We talk about grace and Jesus and he's the Christ and so on and so forth. But when you, when you really start digging into what they mean by the words and how they define the words, they're completely different. So Jesus is, uh, you know, God's son, but that does not mean he's God for, uh, I think it's Jehovah's Witnesses, right? And that's, they don't believe that he's God. He's the first created being. He is, you know, and all of a sudden you start to realize like, oh, we're on separate teams here. We're using all the right words, but we're on completely separate teams. Or you start talking to the, to the Mormons and it's like, yeah, yeah, Jesus is God. Awesome. Okay. I think we're getting somewhere. And it's like, and you can become one too. It's like, oh, no, 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 no. We're, on, we're on separate teams here. Like all of a sudden you start to realize there are, there, this, this gets more tricky because people are using the same terms and, and so on and so forth. But Antichrist can arise also in the church in more subtle ways even than that. Maybe pastors who speak as if they have the authority of Christ and trump the authority of scripture. Spiritual leaders who place themselves as the gatekeepers to spiritual blessing or forgiveness and growth. I don't know how many stories, heartbreaking stories I've heard from, from people who are dying, giving their last dollars to some faith healer on TV that says, if you just give me you know, X amount of dollars, uh, God is going to heal you through me. And then their families hate the faith afterwards because not only did their parents refuse treatment or something like that, but these faith healers took away all their money and used the name of God for their own shallow purposes. 
Now, one glaring example of this is sort of hidden in plain sight, just to, to use this as an example of uh, something like the, the Catholic Church. So when it came to this, this chapter, a lot of people highlighted the Catholic Church as like, I don't know if you know this, but a lot of people have viewed the Catholic Church as the Antichrist up until like the last 500 years or so. And, and the reason is because when you start thinking about the titles that the Pope uses for himself, it's this subtle way of placing himself as Christ. But it's titles that no one really knows what they mean, right? If I were to walk around in here today and be like, hello, my name is Gunnar and I'm a vicar of Christ. You'd probably be like, okay, I guess, yeah. <laughs> hello, Gunnar. You know what vicar of Christ means? It means a representative or substitute of Christ. But then you start looking at your Bibles and you start looking at John 14, 26. And who is, who is the substitute for Jesus? It's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's going to come in my name. It's not the Pope. Even the word Pope. What is that? From the word Papa, meaning Father. And I think of Matthew 23, where Jesus says, call no man Father. You have one Father in heaven. And yet here you have a religious figure telling everyone, I am father so-and-so. Another title is the Pontifex, the bridge builder, who closes the gap. Meanwhile, I'm thinking the words, John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. Who is the bridge builder? Who, who closes the gap? It's Jesus. Now, there have been many who tried to replace Jesus in John's time with the fake version of Jesus a Christ who undoubtedly promises great things, but undoubtedly as all dead religions and false messiahs do, can never actually deliver on the great promises that they've given. And maybe you've been tricked into following a false religion and a false Christ. Maybe it was comfortable Christ that really didn't demand anything from you and also gave you really no hope. Or maybe it's another type of false Christ that demanded everything from you and gave you nothing in return. But this is the battle that we find ourselves in, in the last chapter of human history, people working against Jesus, who is the Christ, the anointed one, by trying to replace Jesus. And John wants to warn us to not be deceived. And he wants to give you training and equipping that you need to be able to fight this battle as he talks about the anointing of the Holy Spirit in verses 20 to 25. Because he says Antichrist will continue to come and the Antichrist will be revealed later in human history. Now there are two ditches on either side of the road when it comes to talking about the Holy Spirit, I feel like. Um, on one side, you have people who dismiss the Holy Spirit almost like, ah, that was for, for the weird early Christians and we, we are more mature nowadays. Like we have systematized the faith. We, we don't, you know, Holy Spirit was for the first century, not for modern Christian life. And on the other hand, you have people who fall into the other side of the ditch in the road, which is, oh, the Holy Spirit gives me goosebumps and he gives me warm and fuzzy feelings. And then really the Holy Spirit does nothing else. You know, he, he meets me an hour and a half on a Sunday and then I go and live my life. Now, I want to try to maybe offend both groups equally here today with hopes that you meet me in the middle now notice first off here, John is writing to all Christians. So he, he didn't start his letter off with, hello, you super Christians, this is for you. Or hello, you subcategory of Christians, you anointed Christians or so on. He's talking to all Christians in his letter. And in verse 20, he says this, 
you have been anointed by the Holy Spirit and you all have knowledge. So that's one thing that is widely debated today. Does everybody have the Holy Spirit? Some would say, no, you have to show certain gifts to be able to say that you have the Holy Spirit. But John here is saying, no, if you're a Christian, if you have knowledge of God, you are anointed in the Holy Spirit. The idea here is of an anointing oil that you would pour over someone who has been ordained as a priest or a king, for example. Like you have uh, been ordained and anointed by the Holy Spirit into the priesthood of all believers. I don't know if you know this. Do you know that you are a part of the priesthood of all believers? It's kind of weird maybe for, for those in a Catholic background to say, hello, my name is priest so-and-so. But do you know that? And have you ever thought about what a priest does in the Old Testament? A priest does mainly two things. Whatever God tells them to say to the people, they say to the people. They represent the word of God and the truth of God to the people. And then they stand in the gap for the people and they pray for the people. That's what a priest does in the Old Testament. And then in the New Testament, in 1 Peter 2, 5, he says, now all of you are part of the priesthood of all believers. All of you, all of us, if you're a Christian in here, you've, given, you've been given the assignment to reflect God to the people around you and stand in the gap for them as you pray for them and love them. And when it talks about the anointing, this is what they would do back in the day. I think we should take this up here in the church, right? We should anoint people, throw buckets of oil on, on people that are becoming pastors in our church or something. No, I'm just kidding. All of you are like, I don't know if I should be nervous right now. <laughs> uh, but what they would do is they would anoint people if you're becoming a king or a priest. So the idea here is you have been anointed and it's not by oil, it's by the Holy Spirit to this new, this new identity that you now serve in. You're supposed to represent God well to other people and represent them to God as you pray for them and stand with God for them. And notice what comes with the Holy Spirit. Not simply emotions or feelings or goosebumps, but knowledge of the truth. Can the Holy Spirit minister to you by giving you nice feelings? Absolutely. One of the fruit of the Spirit is actually joy, for instance. That's, so like, I, I love for us to, to remember that we have such joy in Jesus and that's good, but that, that is not just a feeling that's based on nothing. It's a feeling based on the knowledge of who God is and what he's done and who we are now. Sinners saved by grace who are now children of God. So he's also there to help you grow in your understanding of who God is. He's also there to help you on obedience, to walk with God as you seek to battle against sin and live in radical love. If you're in here and, and you only think of the Holy Spirit as, some, as someone who gives you nice feelings, right? but you walk out of here today and you're still okay with sin in your life and you're still okay with really not loving other people and you're still okay with not really knowing who God is or worshiping him with your life, let me tell you, you're in a dangerous spot. And I wish people would bring this up more often because some people come to church because it makes them feel nice. I'm saying feelings, if they're based on nothing, they're so fleeting and fickle. They go away so easily. And, and I, I, I actually am... I'm, I'm worried for you. If you come to church because it makes you feel good, but if you walk out of here and you show no other signs of the fruit of the Spirit in your life, 
If you walk out of here and you're still okay with sin, just enjoying it and, and not loving other people and not knowing or worshiping God, then you're in a dangerous place. So if you're in here and that's you, I just wanna warn you, please talk to me after the sermon. I would love to be able to walk with you through what the Bible has in store for you. It's so much greater than just a, a hour or two window a week to experience nice feelings. It is a joy to last through anything. And also, on the opposite end, let me try to offend everybody equally, remember? On the opposite end, if you're in here and you're like, yes, I hate feelings. Just give me books and podcasts and articles to read and the Bible and I am nice. This is what we did, right? So we started the church as sort of a reaction to what I grew up with, which was my, my faith was based on boost bumps. And then we became the frozen chosen in the beginning. And so uh, it was dry, boring, and a long sermons, an hour, 15 minutes, sometimes just like going through the text. Uh, but if you're in here and that's you, but your faith also, so you have a lot of knowledge about who God is and you can throw out theological terms left and right, but it doesn't lead you to actually have joy or love or peace, then you're equally in a dangerous place. It's a different kind of danger from the other one who's just got goosebumps on a Sunday and nothing else but it's a dangerous place. It's a faith that is fruitless and pointless and worthless. So with the Holy Spirit comes knowledge and this knowledge has found great joy and cause for celebration. And notice in verse 27, what he says the Holy Spirit will do, it will cause us to abide in Jesus. It makes me think of the words of Jesus in John 15, 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I've kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. You know what that is saying? If you truly want to say you love Jesus, you're going to keep his commandments. You're going to live the way he wants you to live. And you might respond to that, like I did that for many years, like that's kind of controlling. <laughs> right? But the thing is, if you love Jesus, you also realize who Jesus is. You realize he's God, you're not. He knows better even though you think you might know better in this situation, but you're still gonna trust him because he's God and you're not. So if you really wanna love Jesus and abide in his love, you will keep his commandments and the Holy Spirit will show us what the Christian life looks like. Because we're not just supposed to know what the Christian life is supposed to be like. We're not just supposed to gather on Sunday to gather up theoretical knowledge and then live lives that are never affected by Jesus. The Holy Spirit will teach us of the real Jesus in such a way that when we see a counterfeit Christ being presented to us, we know immediately it's a counterfeit. But here comes a balancing act for me as I was thinking about this text and for our church because we're told in Matthew 28 that we're supposed to go out and teach people, right? We're supposed to teach them to follow the commandments of Christ. And so which one is it? You know, I don't know how you guys work, but I, uh, me and Elliot were talking about it this week. The first John 2 is like, well, is the Holy Spirit supposed to teach or is it us? Yeah, this is confusing sometimes. But if you would turn with me to Ephesians chapter four. Again, I hate to do this. It's probably a politician's answer. Again, uh, both of us. The Holy Spirit will guide you in, in your need and he will teach you. 
But one of the major ways that he teaches you is to equip, you, equip the church with various gifts to help you grow in understanding and in your ministry and in your life. And so in Ephesians chapter four, starting in verse 11 through 15, it says this, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. That's interesting right there because most of us, who do you think of when you think of someone doing ministry? Uh, this is actually a question. Who do you think of? You. Me? Yeah. Missionaries? Yeah. How, how, many, how many people think of I'm doing ministry? I'm, yeah, one, two, two, yeah, three, four. So this is what actually the Bible talk, talks about. Like it's not just the people up front with the microphones that are supposed to be doing the ministry. Actually, my job is supposed to equip you to do the ministry so that I can uh, just go play golf. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, no, it's, it's uh, my job, a uh, pastor's job is to help you equip you in doing the ministry. All of us, like we were talking about earlier, we are the priesthood of all believers. Hello, Mr. Priest, Mrs. Priest, you know, like, hello, representative of God to the people around you that I can't reach. We all have a ministry to do. So to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of faith and the knowledge of the son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, rather speaking the truth in love we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. That's our goal. And notice there, uh, Paul writing in Ephesians and, and John writing in 1 John, they, they're worried about the same thing. They don't want you to be deceived by just any doctrine that comes your way, any new idea that comes your way. And I love the fact here, he, he tells us we shouldn't be children tossed to and fro. Like, have you, have you seen those videos and videos of Icelandic weather and sometimes people like, like literally trying to walk like this against the wind? Or I, I remember seeing a news article of a lady that sat on one of those ice, uh, ice cubes and, and uh, what is it, Crystal Beach or whatever. Uh, you know what I'm talking about, right? Is it uh, Lagoon? What is it called? Glacier Lagoon? It was such a funny article. It was sad, but it was funny. Uh, so she sat on this ice that looked like a throne and this wave came in and just carried her off, sitting on this ice throne. <laughs> and, and that's the idea that I get in my mind when he says, don't be tossed to and fro by wind and, and every wave of doctrine. I, I just think of this lady on the ice throne going, oh, stop, stop it, please. <laughs> and people going on boats to try to rescue her on her ice throne. It's like, really? Well, I hope that Instagram picture got a lot of likes. <laughs> Do you see even the familiar concerns here? They don't want you to be the type of person that just sees, here's another idea, another doctrine. Oh, no, I guess I'm this now or that now. They, the idea here is that we're all based on the word of God, that when a false Christ comes, the Holy Spirit has been teaching us about real Christ so that when we see the counterfeit, we're like, nope, want none of that. They want you to grow into the head that is Jesus, the real Christ. And how does the Holy Spirit teach you truth? He, he changes us, he, he changes our hearts and he transforms our minds. 
The Bible also tells us that the word of God is inspired by the Holy Spirit to equip us for every good work. That's 2 Timothy 3. <laughs> I should, I should, three, I think it's Second Timothy 3, like 15 or 16 or something like that. But brothers and sisters, we, one of the things that God blesses us and equips us for the ministry that we have is these weird people around you. Like look around you, that weird person, they've got something to teach you. And that's the thing, that's the thing about church. We're supposed to equip one another for our ministries. And it's not just attend and, and hear someone speak. It's, hey, come and be a part of a community where we're trying to help each other grow to be more like Jesus. And the thing is, the church doesn't just lose out on you and your gifts when you don't come. You're also losing out on the church and the various gifts that other people around you could be using to build you up. So brothers and sisters, we are... We are living in this final chapter where many antichrists have come and many will come and also the antichrist will come and he will deceive and lead astray. But I, I think here there's, there's an importance that 1 John 2, 22 to 23, he highlights the importance of theological clarity and knowledge. Okay, so in chapter two, he's talk, taught us the importance of fighting sin, loving radically, but all of this has to be informed by who we know and what we know. The only reason for us to love radically like Jesus is if we truly know Jesus. And so he's highlighting the importance of theological clarity and knowledge. And it's not just a matter of life and death, but literally eternal bliss in heaven and eternal agony in hell. It's the difference between Jesus being glorified as your savior or as your righteous judge. That's one thing that hit me. Jesus will be glorified. He will be. And the question is simply for you and me to ask ourselves, is he gonna be glorified in me through his grace and mercy as my savior? Or is he gonna be glorified in me through judging me righteously? It's not just a matter of life and death. It's eternal bliss and eternal agony on the line. And we cannot keep our eyes off of this. If we go into our week, we have to realize, and the people around me, probably no one else is gonna be praying for them, talking to them. They're gonna be people that all of us, we have a platform in life. It's not just the people on literal platforms. You have family members that are watching you more closely than they would ever watch me or anyone else in here. You got friends who would be way more open to you saying something about the hope that you have in Christ than me or anyone else in here. We live in an age where there has never been more flow of information. There are new ideas and new doctrines around every corner and around every click, right? We need to be spiritually led and equipped to see the right path to follow. We live in a world that is drowning in information so much so that people, have you noticed this? People don't even know which information to follow anymore. Like there's so much confusion, um, but this world is drowned, is drowning in information, but is starving for wisdom and hope and joy. And true wisdom and hope can only be found at the feet of Jesus. And anyone else who tries to take the place of Jesus, they can only promise a lot of things but they never deliver the hope that we have in Jesus. They never deliver the joy that we have in Jesus. 
And I'm not asking you to run to me for these things. I'm not asking you to run to religion to get this hope and joy. I'm asking you to run to the person that is Jesus. Jesus Christ, whom the Father has sent, Jesus Christ, whom the Spirit testifies of and makes much of, run to him if you are weary and heavy laden that he will give you rest. Others will falsely promise that you will find rest. Others, other spirits, other religions and ideologies, but for your hearts are always going to be restless until they find their rest in the one true God because that's what he created us for. Now, others will promise to be saviors, but in reality, only offer enslavement. Only Jesus can wipe away your sins. That's why he was nailed to that cross. That's why he was humiliated and murdered. It was for our sin, our shame, our penalty. We are living in the last chapter of human history and we have the true Christ in a world that's filled with antichrists. And brothers and sisters, we, we need to step up and display him through our lives and actions. We need to realize that it's not just up to a chosen few or professionals to be ministers of God. You have a ministry too. You have people in your life that no one in here can reach but you. And you've been equipped by the Holy Spirit in unique ways to build up the people around you the way no one else in here can. And then other people have been equipped in unique ways to build you up in that way. Brothers and sisters, we need to step up. And I, for one, over the last few weeks, when it talks about First John, you know, and, and the joke is with Baptists, like, oh, can we really talk about the Holy Spirit in church? Well, it's kind of, kind of someone referred to him as the weird uncle in the family party. Just try to ignore him. Unfortunately, that's what a lot of people do. And I was confronted by my own lack of faith that may have been hidden and couched in very socially acceptable ways to look spiritual. Someone asked me a couple of weeks back as I was talking with them about, okay, how do we men grow in faith and take on the ministry they have and then take on the responsibility that God has for them and the joys of doing that? And this person asked me, well, what role does the Holy Spirit play in your discipleship? And I was like, none, <laughs> none. I have a system for this. <laughs> I have a Bible study. I have, there's a program for this. I don't need it. We've systematized our faith. And honestly, I was confronted by this, and it's socially acceptable. And it, it even may look spiritual. Oh, he has got a book on this subject. How many times have I done that? I'm like, man, I need to be a better friend. I wonder what books there are on friendship. <laughs> I need to be a better husband. I wonder what books there are on that. Probably plenty of books on that. But <laughs> I was confronted by my own lack of like, we have the ultimate teacher in the Holy Spirit. There's no one in here, no one in the whole earth. The favorite preacher you listen to on your podcast is not even close to what the Holy Spirit has to offer you. And he's inside of you. If you're a Christian, he's in you. And he's offering to teach us. And I was confronted by this lack and I realized, you know, I was talking with this guy about discipleship and we had just talked about a lot of books and theories and ideas and programs. Brothers and sisters, are you abiding in Jesus by the Holy Spirit? Are you letting the Holy Spirit teach you and conform you and change you and lead you? Are, are you allowing people of God, the word of God and the spirit of God to be a part of your life? Because honestly, through my darkest points in life, like I... People, people ask a lot about when Mikhail was in cancer therapy and everything else, like those two and a half years. Like, I literally, it's a cliche when people are like, how do you survive? 
And you say, well, by the grace of God, you know, it's like, oh yeah, that's what a pastor would say. And, you know, literally that's all I could think of. Like those two years of my life, it was literally the people of God, the word of God and the spirit of God that got me through it. And I'll tell you, many do this in ministry. There are books written for pastors and how to put ministry into rhythms to make ministry predictable, productive, and professional. Are we doing the same thing as Abraham did sometimes? Like, I want you to go into this week realizing the Holy Spirit has something to teach you this week. The Holy Spirit has, has a ministry for you to do this week. And how exciting that is. But so many of us, we act like Abraham. Like I was reading about Abraham and, and, uh, and Sarah uh, and, and basically God promising them in their old age to, to give them a child, right? And he's like, well, this is kind of ridiculous. I'm like a hundred and she is very old too, like 90. And this is probably not gonna happen. So they come up with a plan to help God, right? Here's this other woman, Hagar, and yeah, we can make a baby with her. And here's Ismail and just bless this guy, God. We, we took care of it for you. Just bless this guy. And I was laughing at it, like, man, you just, you literally, God showed up, told you this is going to happen, and you have the audacity to be like, let me take care of this guy. <laughs> but then I was reading the story, and I realized, I do this. I do this. We do this. We try to systematize our faith. We try to make it all nice and neat. Like, I've, I've done this with trying to, trying to be productive and trying to figure out my calendar. I'm like, Holy Spirit, you can work here and here. Just bless what I've already created for you. I've, I've, I've figured out ministry for you. You don't even have to teach me anymore. Just bless what I already have. Like, man, how about we just let him out of the cage? It's Jesus who built his church. And I want to be, you to be equipped to not be deceived by various ideas and ideologies and, and frankly, idiots. There's a lot of idiotic ideas out there. You don't need a system you don't need all the resources in the world. You, you have the best teacher ever, God himself living inside of you. He's not reserved for the uber Christians. He's for all of us. And so I leave you with the challenge in these verses and from chapter two of, uh, of first John as a whole. So I want to ask you this. Does your faith lead to fight against sin? Does your faith lead to love radically? And are those informed by theological knowledge and clarity? And will you allow the Holy Spirit to equip you, to change you, to lead you to Christ, to the real Christ in a world that's full of antichrist? Will you allow him to do it through the word of God, the people of God and being led by the spirit of God this week? What an exciting thing we have. We're called like, what is it? Ephesians chapter two, verse 10, to lay hold of the good works that he has prepared for us beforehand to participate in. What an exciting thing to think every single day. God, what do you have for me today? Man, it's like a, it's like a mission for every single day. Man, I want us to be this. Let's do this as we go into this week. Let's actually rely on the Holy Spirit. We have the best teacher available to us. And I'm wondering with myself, how many times have I drowned out him by all the, the audiobooks and podcasts I'm listening to? How about I pray? And how about we pray right now as I close? So I don't want to be the pressers. Like, oh, so I close and then speak for 30 more minutes. 
what we do every week is we remember why we gather. We remember as we go into this week, our worship is not over, even though the service is drawn to a close. Our whole life is worship and we remember why we worship. So if you're in here and you're a Christian, which means two things. You've confessed that Jesus Christ is your Lord, meaning I've surrendered my life to him. Like a child, I'm gonna follow my father along. And he's your savior. Meaning that when you stand before God, it's not look at all the nice things that I've done, look at how I served you, but rather Jesus died for me. If those two are realities in your life, that's what biblically makes a Christian according to Romans 10, nine through 10. And you can participate with us by remembering the broken body of Jesus and his blood shed for us. If you're in here and you're not a Christian, don't feel uncomfortable by skipping this thing uh, because we're glad that you're here and I would love to talk with you and pray for you. And I hope you get to taste of the grace and the joy and hope in Jesus. But do not participate with us in this. It would not be sort of a nice thing for you to do. We would simply view it as mockery of what Jesus Christ has done. So we're glad to have you, but do not participate. Let me pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the anointing of the Holy Spirit. You have anointed us to this role of being a priesthood of all believers. Father, I, I pray that you would help us have a theological clarity to know when false doctrine, false Christs are being presented to us. I pray that you through your Holy Spirit would work in us and through us the words to speak, the strength to fight against sin, the joy to love radically as we look at Jesus and how he loved us. Father, I pray, would you work in us and through us? Would you equip us for the week ahead? May our worship not cease. May we worship you with our heads, with our hearts, and would you equip our hands for the work of the ministry that you have for each one of us to do this week. Father, I pray for the marriages of our church. May we minister well to our husbands and wives. May we minister well to our children. Father, as we fall into various sins this week, inevitably, may we be quick to repent and quick to turn to you. Father, may we be quick to ask for forgiveness and seek shelter in you alone. Father, we thank you as we remember the broken body of Jesus Christ that was shed on our behalf, who took on our shame and our guilt, our iniquity, so that we can have hope, so that the story couldn't end simply with us being sinful and you being holy, but rather you and your holiness approaching us, taking on our sins so that we can be wrapped up in your righteousness. What a joyous news that we get to celebrate and live for. What a joyous reality that we get to experience. So Father, as we go into this week, help us experience it, help us love it, help us reflect it to others. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. It was a joy to celebrate and worship with you today. Hope you come back next week. And if you're not plugged into a small group, discipleship group, or something like that, and you want to know more about it, talk to me or Elliot. Um, God bless you guys. Have a wonderful week. You've been listening to Sermons from Iceland, a weekly podcast highlighting the Sunday teaching ministry of Lofstofan Baptiste Kirka in Reykjavik, Iceland. If you have a desire to see the gospel spread in Iceland, consider partnering with The Iceland Project. For more information, go to theicelandproject.org. If you live in Iceland or plan on visiting Iceland soon, make plans to worship with us at 11 a.m. on Sundays. 
Our address is Fagrating 2A, Kopavar, only 7 miles or 12 kilometers southeast of downtown Reykjavik. You can reach Pastor Gunnar via the Lofstofan Facebook page or by email. His address is lofstofan at lofstofan.is. Join us next week for another Bible-based and Jesus-centered message on Sermons from Iceland. Iceland.